you for downloading this podcast from Victory Outreach Manchester. We pray that this message will bless your life as you listen. They kind of get halfway, but then they don't finish it. But let's pray and let's crack on with this message today. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We're so grateful for the atmosphere and environment that you provide for us to worship. Lord, the community of church that you've given us. Lord, it's a beautiful thing, the way that you've set things up in your creation for us to come to know you, the creator. Lord, we declare Jesus Christ is Lord, not just of our lives or this church, but also of this city and this nation and this generation. Lord, where people are running around to and fro, following evil. Lord, celebrating things that should not be tolerated. Lord, you want us, your people, your children, to make a stand and to build that which is holy, that which is honourable, that which is about freedom and transformation. So, Spirit of God, move today amongst us, we pray. Anoint me, the messenger, to be able to present the message which is already anointed, the message of your gospel. We give you the glory for that, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in our last episode, we saw how crucial it is to build momentum. Remember that? Last week, we were looking at building momentum, and um, especially important to build momentum when our enemies wake up and realize that we're serious about doing God's will. I mean, if you know, it's okay when you're living irrelevant, when you're living a beige kind of situation, you know what I mean? You know, when, when you're just there, just not doing anything, just looking like the world, living like the world, living and looking like everyone else around you, even those that are not saved, the enemy don't care. He's not going to come against you. He's going to let you do your thing because you're not doing anything that is hurting him. Oh, but when you wake up and you get up and you make a decision that I am going to serve the living God, then you better understand what is going to happen. We saw that opposition arose and we saw Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshem the Arab rise up against Nehemiah and the children of God and we, we looked at their names and what they meant and broke it all down and, and it's really informative to know that the enemy comes in the same way down throughout the ages. He comes either with deception, you know, and he tries to, to deceive you and, you know, he comes very, very subtly or if that don't work, he's going to come with aggression and accusation. There are two ways that he works and he's always going to try and get you to look at what looks good, what feels good, or what makes you look good, to try and get you distracted and away from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. They're the traps, they're the, the, the tactics that he uses. But we saw there's no better way to beat opposition than by taking responsibility for our own area and getting started on building something with God. We don't have to do everything. We just have to do the bit that God tells us to do. Can someone say amen? If everybody does a little, a lot ends up getting done. Imagine if every single Christian in the world was living the way that God created them to live and the way Jesus died for them to live. The gospel would go out, it would be all around the world, everyone would be getting saved, just like it was in the, in the original days of the church in the book of Acts. They were going out, just taking responsibility for going and telling someone about Jesus. But how many, how many Christians do that these days? 
But today we get to the critical point of this series. And it's got a lot of key lessons for us to learn. What happens when reality and negativity hit our commitment, our dreams, our decisions, our vision? What are we going to do when reality and negativity come and hit those dreams and that vision? There's only two options that we've got in situations like this. And how many of you know that whenever you set out to do something good, there's always going to be something negative, something aggressive, something divisive, something, you know, that is oppositional that is going to come against you. Try to lose weight and then walk past the cake shop. Come on, somebody. Gone to the gym and then, you know, looked at yourself in the mirror and there's this huge imposter looking back at you. There's always something that comes against us, wherever it is that we do, whether it be in the natural or in the supernatural. So let's read the text. We're going to go from the text today. There's a lot to read today. Are you with me? Are you following? Nehemiah chapter 4, starting from verse 1. Sambalat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble, victory outreach people think they're doing? He didn't say that. He said the Jews. But, you know, we're, 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 you know we're, we're not Jews, most of us. But anyway, do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they think that they can be saved? just by repenting of their sin and believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Don't you know their background? Don't you know where she's come from? Don't you know what he did? Don't you know what they've said? You ever had that against you? Right? The enemy always comes in like this. Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap? Do they think they can build a life that's worthy and noble of Jesus Christ from the madness and the chaos of their own background? They were drug addicts. Some of them allegedly were criminals. They've messed up. They're not pure. Not all of them are virgins. They've lied, they've stolen, they've cheated. They've been corrupted. Do they, who do they think they are? Can you, can you get what I'm saying? Can you get the correlation here? Do they really actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Burned up. Because they're weak. Do you think they can build a strong life from the weakness of their, their, their past? They're failures. These are the words that the enemy comes in with. And it's the same in every generation. It's just different types of environments that we're in. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Huh? What, they think they're going to get by? Verse 4. So Nehemiah steps up again. Then I prayed. Then I prayed. How I many of you know that when the enemy comes in, 
Like a flood, God raises a standard against him. Right? There's standards that God raises up. A standard was a, a place, a rallying point for an army. A standard. It was something they fought for. If the enemy took your standard, they were going to win. It shows that they were winning. Everyone would fight for the standard. How many of you know that sometimes we see today that people are moving standards? They're not standing for the same standards that God expects. They're watering down the gospel. They're, they're saying that we should celebrate things that God doesn't tolerate. Hear us, O oh God, for we're being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads and may they, may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not block out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. You know, sometimes we've got to, we've got to understand that there's, there's, there's grace, there's love. But you know when people say, oh, God's love, just let everything happen because God's love. That's not the type of love that God actually speaks about in the Bible. You know, there's a love that is just anything goes... But how many of you know that the one commandment of the Satanist church is do what, they, do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. Do whatever you want to do. Don't worry about it. Right? But how many of you know love has boundaries? Love has barriers. I love my wife, but I love her enough not to abuse her. I love my wife, so I'm, I love her enough not to leave her without stuff that she needs. Do you, are you with me? But you hear with abusers, don't you, saying, I did it because I love you. What? What is that? So here we have, once again, the enemy's coming in and Nehemiah going back to prayer. There's two forms of attack. Subtlety, distraction and deception to get our minds off God and his truth. And secondly, if that doesn't work, they'll start with accusation and aggression. But here we see what happens when you've started rebuilding something, especially your life or a relationship or a career or a health plan. It works across the spectrum. Look how the enemy tries to portray God's people as poor and feeble. Who do they think they are? You ever read that? And I don't even know, you remember in the playground we used to say, sticks and stones won't break my bones. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I'd rather get beaten with a stick than have some of the names, some of the insults. Because I don't even know insults hurt. They hurt, right? You're stupid. You're fat. You're ugly, right? All these things, man, they hurt. Your youthness. They hurt. Sometimes more than being beaten with sticks. The enemy comes in very subtly at first and he tries to discourage us. Even when the insults are untrue, they hurt. They can hit you and they can really hurt you. Because mockery and ridicule is used often as a tool to discourage people from the work of God. From living the way that they were created to live. You just want to go and hide. You don't want to step up and do nothing anymore. Are you with me? You just want to get away from the insults and the hurt because it's subtle, it's incessant. It's like a dripping tap. 
Last night I was trying to, trying to sleep and an alarm was going off. And I don't know if it was a car or if it was a house. But I was like, shut that thing off. Because how many of you know them things, they just get in you. Next thing, I'm looking at me cameras. You know what I mean? Because how many of you know I'm born again, but I wasn't born again yesterday. I have security in my house. I have cameras around my house, over my cars. I have hammers in strategic places around my house. I have an axe in my bedroom. If anyone ever gets near my bedroom with my wife or gets upstairs near my kids, they're going to be met with a, 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 a pastor carrying an axe. But these things can discourage us. And, just, and if you allow yourself, here's the thing. If you allow yourself to get offended. Oh. Oh no, he said it. He went there. If you allow yourself to become offended, you'll end up taking yourself out of the fight and you'll find yourself back in the land of irrelevance. How many know we get offended so easy? Everyone gets offended these days. Are you with me? Uh, I had this funny thing, this meme come up the other day. And uh, there was this guy walking along and there's this group of friends and they said to him, excuse me, can you take a picture? And he's like, okay, all right. He got the, he got the camera and they're all there. He said, all right, on the count of three, say cheese. And one of them said, I'm a vegan. <laughs> I object to that. All right, well, just smile. Well, I'm depressive, I'm bipolar. What do, you want to, what do you want to do? You want to spell it out for me? Oh, so it's against dyslexics now, is it? <laughs> and it was such an hilarious thing. And the whole of them went round, you know, objecting to every single thing he was saying for them to take a picture. <laughs> Hurry up, the light's going. Oh, I'm black, so now I'm not going to be in it, huh? <laughs> it was hilarious, man. You should have seen it. I might find it. I might see if I can find it and post it somewhere. But how many of you know we get offended so easy? But you only get offended if there's a lot of you. When there's a lot of Jesus, you don't get offended so easy. Are you with me? When we get offended, it's because there's a lot of us still, still kicking, still alive and kicking. But when you've been crucified with Christ, when your flesh has been brought under submission, when you're not there wanting the world's affirmation, right? Then you ain't going to get offended so quick. Then comes the reality check. Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Ooh. Because I don't even know, it can look sometimes like the enemies are right. But don't forget that they try to exaggerate every negativity Every little bit of negativity. You know, most of you know my background, right? When I was first saved, I was in a church, and it was a church in an area where I used to allegedly sell a lot of drugs and do crime and do mad things, right? And I remember going into the church, I had long hair. I had long hair, like right long hair. You know what I mean? Because back in the day in the East End, that's how we used to roll. Because we was out in Tenerife, Ibiza, you know what I mean? We were living the beach life. 
We had long hair, you know what I mean? We were looking good, six packs. And I remember that I started, I was serious. I wanted God. I was 100% in the life I was living. And when I got saved, I turned around, I repented. I'm like, I'm going this way. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Right? And I remember, I said to the pastor, I said, what do I have to do now? I'm saved, you know what I mean? What have I got to do now? Pastor, I called him Mike, his name was Mike. How many of you know, when you're not saved or you're not really that spiritual, you call the pastor by their first name? <laughs> when you get more spiritual, you're like, you kind of, you know, you honour the position a little bit more. I'm cool, you can call me anything you like, just don't call me before six in the morning. <laughs> or late for dinner, amen? I said to him, what have I got to do? He said, you've got to get baptised. I said, all right. I've been sprinkled as a baby. He said, no, no, no. You're going under. We're going to dunk you, man. I'm like, all right, cool. When? So well, I don't know. We have to get a few other people. Can't just do you. It's a big service. I said, how many do you need? He went, oh, I don't know, about six? At least six. I went, all right. So I went around everyone in the church. You've been baptised? <laughs> have you been baptised? No, right. What's your name? You're getting baptised. That's just how it was back in the day, right? Because we have a background and sometimes it follows us. Sometimes reputations follow us or sometimes our, 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 our deeds, our past deeds can follow us. You come into church and you want to be made new, but everyone knows you've been divorced maybe before or maybe you've had a, a baby out of wedlock or maybe you've had a relationship that was sexual before you got married or, or maybe you took drugs or maybe you've been in jail or maybe you were stupid. Maybe you was a Tottenham supporter. Who knows, whatever the background was. Whatever madness was in our backgrounds, who knows. And people can hold it against us. Do you think you're going to be able to build a new life coming from that? Do you think that you're going to be able that God's going to accept you because when He knows what you've done, and other people know what you've done, and the enemy comes in and he tries to block us from living in the grace zone by reminding us of the judgment that we were under, and they exaggerate it. They exaggerate it. But look at Nehemiah's response, verse 4. Then I prayed. And if you know, he didn't stand for this stuff. He didn't just stand there like a victim getting slapped up and beat up like a circus monkey. He prayed. Sometimes we've got to ignore the enemy and just talk straight to God. The mistake we make is arguing with the enemy. Why are you arguing with someone like that? We argue because we want to win. We want to win the argument. But you, there's some, some, some enemies you're never going to win an argument with. So why even bother interacting with the enemy? Go to the source and start praying. He didn't mess around. He went straight to God in prayer. And that should always be our first response. Can someone say amen? amen? And not just once either. 
It's not like I prayed once. When? September 2003. All right, that was a good prayer. Hallelujah. God heard that prayer. He might be keeping it, you know. But how many of you know there's a new situation that's arisen? Maybe you made a new mistake. But the Bible says His mercy is new every morning. So we can go before Him, we can obtain favor and grace and all that, all that stuff. We need to be continually putting God first on the list for every time we need to make a response to an enemy or to a situation. And what that did, that kept the momentum going. That added force. And it kept the velocity going. So that then the opposition that was coming against it couldn't overcome the momentum of God's people. So they started to gain ground. They were gaining ground. They were growing. Then in verse 6, the Bible says this. Watch this. It says, at last. So imagine the scene. They're they're building. They're doing their thing. The enemies come. But they came once when he found out what was going on, started mocking them. Then they said, you know what, we're going to build. Let's build. Everyone say, let's build. So they jumped on it. And then the enemy got angry. Then he started mocking them and he started pulling other things in. And so what did they do? They prayed again. They prayed, God, you deal with it. We've got business going on. We're doing your will. We're trying to do your will. You're going to have to deal with our enemies. We're not going to get distracted. I'm not against spiritual warfare. I'm not against going into prayer. Like I'm not against jumping into it and praying for a week and fasting for a week. But you've got to pray and do. You've got to pray and do. Some people just want to pray and all they want to do is pray and then the wall don't get built while they're praying. At last, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city. For the people had worked with enthusiasm. This is really important. You've got to make sure that you don't stop building when you're halfway there. It looks like you've accomplished something. The wall is complete halfway. Your freedom is complete halfway. We tell this to the men and the women in the homes all the time. There they are, they come in, heroin addicts, crack cocaine addicts. You know, all these manufactured pharmaceutical made up drugs. We had a guy come in once, I said, well, what's, your, what's your thing, man? He said, oh, I was addicted to smoking plant food. What? Plant food? I said, well, it's all right. God's going to get to the root of that. But they come in and they come into the presence of God and the power of God comes on them and the Word of God gets into them and they start to be around people that have been where they're at but are not there anymore and then the addiction just gets busted. It gets broken. We have people that don't even have any withdrawal symptoms. Some people do. Because it ain't their first rodeo. And the first time God gave them a pass. This time around he said, how much do you want it? But then what happens is they want to smoke still. And we've even had people that walk along the street and they say, well, I've given up heroin. Why can't I just have a cigarette? Because the wall's halfway there. You're only halfway there. You ain't free yet. You're only halfway there. We've even had people walk down the street thinking they're clever. Clever criminals. 
had a bloke in a home once from Scotland. I said, what was your thing, man? He said, I was a top jewel thief. What? Really? And then he said, I did 27 years in prisons and institutions. I said, well, you weren't that good then, were you? <laughs> so, top jewel thief. And then they're clever. Well, I'm not addicted anymore. And then they see a cigarette butt. People do this. Cigarette butt. That someone else just spat out. From their lips. You don't know where their lips have been. You don't know what's around their lips. You don't know if there's any disease on them lips. You don't know who them lips have kissed. And then they pick the cigarette butt up and they tuck it, you know what I mean? Thinking they're clever. I got away with it. <laughs> what are you doing? You sausage. Don't stop when the wall is only half built. Don't stop when you're halfway there. Because the enemy will, he will allow you to get halfway there as long as you don't get all the way there. Because if he can't keep you from starting, he's going to keep you from finishing. What starts off with an emotional high when you're there under the anointed preaching of a, of a man of God, <laughs> a woman of God, so anointed that people even pay your flights. When <laughs> We heard that earlier, right? I was preaching. Someone was booking a flight. Hello. What else are you doing when I'm preaching? <laughs> but it starts off and everyone's in the atmosphere and everyone's together and everything's good and the dopamine starts flowing and everyone comes to the altar and you're there and it's wonderful and the music's playing and the atmosphere's on and the heating's on <laughs> and you're feeling the power of God or maybe it's the heat from the the vents, the warmness, and you're there and the dopamine's going, you, you feel good chemicals. Someone's hugged you and oxytocin chemicals are released and serotonin's released in your mind and in your brain and you're feeling good and it's all good in the hood. I'm going to build, yeah, let's build, yeah, let's build. Yeah. And they start with enthusiasm because it feels good. And they get halfway there based on their enthusiasm and their momentum. But then reality hits. There's no dopamine. There's just miserable in. <laughs> Whatever chemical that is. Amen. I mean, if you know, many people have it <laughs> seemingly flowing through them. So what starts off with an emotional high when we're full of enthusiasm can crash when things stop feeling so good? And what you have to remember is, you've got to be very careful that you don't mistake a dopamine rush with the anointing of God. The real battles are won when you're prepared to face reality by trusting the grace of God to get you over the hurdles that you face. In our modern usage, enthusiasm refers, refers to intense enjoyment, interest, approval, Expressed by a person. 
And someone, a friend of mine posted on, on social media that there's, there's a lot of people seeking affirmation instead of transformation. Amen? And when everything's good and it feels good, everyone's on it. But when all of a sudden a reality comes, people cut out. They go missing. You don't see them anymore. They're not doing it anymore. Well, I'm halfway there. Isn't that enough? I've done enough. But this word enthusiasm, biblically, literally means filled with God. From the Greek word en, which means in, and theos, which means God. Real enthusiasm is not based upon your circumstances around you. It's not even based upon the feelings that you feel. It's based upon the reality of God's presence living within you. They're halfway there, and their enthusiasm was about to be tested. We should always be aware of the attacks that come from outside, where our enemies stop then using subtlety and start using aggression. They start coming at you with accusation. I mean, you know, accusation is a big thing, right? It's a big thing. Verse 7. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. You've got to understand when you're doing God's will and you're doing good and you're making ground and you're filling in gaps and you're starting to get back that which the enemy stole from you, your enemies around you are going to be furious. It makes them mad. Amen. Remember that song, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Amen? The enemy's mad, and I am glad, because he lost the soul that he thought he had. All my sins are washed away, I've been redeemed. Verse 8, so what happens? They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Verse 9, but we prayed. Again, to our God, and watch this, and we guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. I'm a man of God. I believe in the power of prayer. I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ. I am, you know, anointed and appointed, called by the great I am. I'm a servant of the king, etc., etc., but I have an axe in my bedroom. Here's the unvarnished truth about being in God's will and plan for your life. There'll be a battle. You will be attacked spiritually. You'll be attacked in other ways as well, maybe in your health, maybe through your family, maybe in your kids or your, your parents or someone you can't reach, maybe in your finances, in your workplace. Maybe whatever it is, the attacks will come when you step up and step out to do God's will. You'll be diverted, distracted, drawn away from the place where God wants you to be. You'll be attacked. And the thing is that lots of people then, they quit. I didn't sign up for this. Really? What did you sign up for then? I didn't get born, I got born again to be happy. Who preached that? Amen. You were born again because you were dying in sin and you were destined for hell. You were under judgment. That's why you needed to be born again. Let's have it right. It's not just to tiptoe through the tulips and live in some Christian fantasy land. There's reality involved. So if that happens, here's the thing. Be encouraged. You're in the right place. When the enemy's coming against you, it means that he's afraid of you. 
He's afraid of what you're doing. When there's spiritual attacks coming against you, it means that you're not irrelevant. You're not useless. You're not invisible. There's actually something that you've stepped up and done in the spiritual realm. This church has been spiritually attacked many times. And I've prayed, I've said, God, why can't we be a church like some of the other churches that never, never have any spiritual attack? And he says, no, nah, I don't even go to them. <laughs> I don't know about you, I want this to be a church where Jesus wants to come. And if that means that this is a church that the enemy has on his target, as a target on, as on his hit list, then okay. I'm good with that. Shows that we're on a cutting edge. God's will in this city. And that's why we're a praying church. That's why you need to be here Friday. You need to be here Friday. It ain't a, it ain't a money problem, it's a faith problem. If you say I can't afford a 15 pound, come and talk to us. Be here. We've made it free for your kids. Beer. The 15 pound really is just to cover, you know, some of the ex ex expenses. But the atmosphere of prayer is something that we cultivate. In our text, we see God's people once again turn to him in prayer for protection. And then they kept on building. They prayed and then they built. They prayed and then they built. They kept going forward. You can turn aside to pray, and we need to do that often, but don't let that be an excuse. God expects us not to use prayer as an excuse for being irresponsible. He wants us and expects us to take responsibility for what it is that he's given for us to do. Some people pray, you've heard the expression, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. There's a balance in this. You pray and you do, you pray and you do, you pray and you walk, you pray and you act, you pray and you give, you pray and you, you, you love, you pray and you do. But after that comes the attack that's really difficult to deal with. I mean, you know, it's easy to deal with the attacks from the outside because you can recognise that it's your enemy. You can smell him, you can sense him, you can feel him, you know that it's, it's coming against you, there's a jarring inside your spirit, but you know, you fight, you pray, you do all that, you pray against the enemy. But then there comes the attack from the inside. Verse 10, then the people of Judah began to complain. This is the attack that's very difficult, man. When people inside the house start complaining, this is what they said, the workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. This is where people want them to do it. They start looking at them. Oh, and they start talking about they. I remember I went to a, a church that I had to go in, because I oversee different churches. I had to go into a church that had, had a, a real, real, real traumatic experience. And uh, I had to go in and bring in, you know, pastoral guidance and care and all that. And all the people were afraid. And I was like, what are you afraid about? And they said, oh, we're afraid that they're going to come in and shut the church down. I said, who, who, who are they? They said, oh, them, you know, them that come in, that come in, you know, them, them from over there. They come in, them, they. I said, I'm them. 
I'm them. He was like, what? No, you're not. I said, I'm them. <laughs> and we're not going to do that. There comes a point when we all get to the point where we want someone else to come and do what it is that we should be doing because it gets difficult, it gets hard, we get tired. Right? How many parents we've got in the house that get tired because their kids keep them up at night? Or if they're older now, how many of you remember the days when the baby used to keep them awake? Years! My children used to keep me awake. Years! Years and years! <laughs> what did I do? I didn't give them away. Tried. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, while they're complaining, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. When all of a sudden, instead of facing outwards, fighting outwards, building what God wants you to build, all of a sudden it all goes inwards. People start complaining. There's a little click over here. There's a thing over there. Oh, we're tired. Oh, they're working us too hard. Oh, my goodness. Don't they know? Don't they know? Oh, they, we're not going to be able to do this by ourselves. We need someone else to come and do it. I can't do this no more. Does that, does that make any sense? And this is not just in a church. I mean, if you know, we have these internal dialogues within our own lives. Start complaining inside your own life. Start beating yourself up, talking smack about yourself, talking down about yourself, and then wondering why all these mad things start happening. And then check this out, verse 12. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. The Jews that lived near the enemy, the Christians that lived with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. This complaining starts coming from inside the community and it starts with people complaining that they're tired, there's too much to do and many people fail at this point. Many people, I've seen it happen many times, many people fail at this point. They turn against their own people because they listen to the voice of the human flesh that wants to put its own comfort before anything else rather than the voice of the Spirit who empowers us to serve God and others. And even though everyone's tired, we, we, we work, we have families, we have kids, we do this, we do that. Everyone's tired. But it's breaking through that barrier. You know, when you're tired, if you're running, if you're you know, in military you know, boot camp, if you're doing anything like that, you get to the point where they call it on your chin strap. You're done. You've got nothing left. You want to quit. You want to give up. You want to turn it in. When that happens, you've got another 40% in the tank. At least. When your car, the petrol gauge, goes down to zero, how many of you know you've got 50 miles left in your tank? And I know some of you have tested that. You've got more inside you than you think you have, but you hit a barrier of comfort and then you want to rebound off the comfort barrier. But God's saying, listen, I want you to get a breakthrough. To get a breakthrough means that you need to break through a barrier. The barrier always is the comfort barrier. Wherever you feel comfortable, up until the, I'll do it up until the point I start feeling discomfort. 
And then wonder why you never ever get anywhere. You never get anything. There is a time that God says, listen, the attacks are coming from outside, fight them. But when they start coming from the inside, you've got to fight them as well. This is a big test for people and few people pass it the first time around. And you'll notice in verse 12, it speaks about the people who live near the enemy. And sadly, there's always those people who say they're Christians but actually live more like the world and the devil than they do living for Christ. And they will always try to justify their actions and their lifestyle choices by spreading fear and confusion and division to people that are trying to live for God. So what was Nehemiah's answer to this? We're coming into a close. Some more scripture. Are you still with me? Are you still with me? You ready for the second half? Or are you going to quit because we're halfway there? We can stop right now if you want. Verse 13. This is what Nehemiah did. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears and bows, possibly axes. It's very difficult to go out and buy a sword or a spear or a bow in B&Q. Verse 14, Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles or the leaders and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Listen to me right now. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Don't be afraid of the enemy. He can come in and he can try and mess you up. But how many of you know, if God's got his hand on you, the enemy can't snatch you from his hand. Can't do it. Can't pluck you away. Can't do it. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Tell yourself right now, I am not going to be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Sometimes we got to get our eyes off of the, the negativity and we got to look to the truth. Don't be anxious for anything, but in prayer with supplication and thanksgiving, present your request to God and then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Think of these things, everything that is noble, everything that is pure, everything that is right. Sometimes instead of thinking about how bad it is, how hard it is, how tired you are, start thinking about how far you've come. Oh, you ain't catching me right now. You're halfway there. That means that you're further away from your past than you've ever been. That means that it's the same distance forward than it is backwards. Why quit? Don't turn back. Don't listen to the voice of the enemy. But keep your eyes fixed on him. Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising his shame. Now he's at the right hand of the Father in heaven. You've got to keep going. And you've got to take responsibility for the place that God wants you to be in. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight. Watch this. Not just be in the air like some random, you know, charismaniac, but using the gifts of God to fight. For watch, your brothers. Who's your brother? I'm your brother. I'm your brother from another mother. Come on, somebody. You're my brother. 
Who's your sister? You are. Sister from another mister. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons and your daughters. Ain't, ain't no one else's responsibility for me to take care of my kids. It's my responsibility. When my kids used to run havoc in the church, we used to deal with them, me and my wife. We weren't expecting the teachers to deal with them and we weren't just going to let them run havoc. Are you with me? I'm, they're my kids, man. I'm the pastor. But my kids, man, Thomas was a nightmare sometimes. <laughs> he was like a little monkey. He'd climb on everything. He'd jump off everything. Be fighting all the time. Even had a fight right outside the doors of the church once. When I was with a visiting pastor, right in front of me. And Lily, my goodness. You know, I never preach about my kids, but they're getting it right now. But I want to let you know that they're my responsibility and my wife's responsibility. And we've done our best with them. We've tried to encourage them and stay with them and fight for them. We pray for them every day. We pray for them every night. We fast for them. We've stood for them. We've disciplined them when necessary. And they've grown to be amazing. 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 Children. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives. Don't fight with your wife. You'll lose. <laughs> and even if you win, man, they're going to find a time later on, two weeks later, to get that joke back in when you least expect it. Women don't forget. That's why they're not premiership referees. Hallelujah. Not yet anyway. Because they'll be giving people yellow cards for fouls they committed two weeks ago. I'm just kidding, women. I'm just kidding. Don't stone me. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Your home is not just where you're from. Your home is where you belong. Your home is the place that you live in. It's your dwelling place. It's also your spiritual dwelling place. Sometimes you've got to fight for your church. You've got to speak up for your church. You've got to battle for your church. You've got to love the house. You've got to turn up. You've got to show up. You've got to show up. Are you with me? You gotta encourage. It's not about partisanship. We want every church to be blessed. We pray for all churches. We encourage everyone. But let's not just encourage every other church and then pull our own one down. What is that? It's like burning your own house down to spite your neighbor. When things get to this point in the game, you see who takes responsibility and who crumbles. At the end of the day, we're all held personally responsible for the battles we face. And our families will always suffer if we give up the fight. I've seen families badly affected, marriages fall apart, kids go off the rails. When people take their eyes off of the Lord and his will and his power. But when we make the choice to stand and fight, to pray, and to stand and to fight. When we take responsibility to follow through with our commitment to Christ, we'll prevail. We'll win. We always will. Because God's never lost a battle. I said he's never lost a battle. He has never lost a battle. Amen? All right, we're coming into a close. I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying up. I'm enjoying myself too much. Verse 15. 
When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. <laughs> when the enemy heard that we were cracking on, we knew of their plans, we understood their attacks, we understood their devices, but that we prayed and God was dealing with it, we just cracked on with it. There is nothing worse for the enemy than to be ignored. Have you ever done that to someone? When they're arguing at you, they're shouting at you, they're doing this and they're doing that. And you just walk away. It makes them even worse, even madder. And I mean, you know, people that are mad are dangerous, but more to themselves than to anyone else. When I was on the streets, I used to love it when people got mad. When they got hot, I got cold. When they were flailing around, I was looking at different. <laughs> poo, poo, poo. Jason Bourne. <laughs> but from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shield, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. There's a positioning that takes place. You have to know what's vulnerable and what's not. You have to get around the vulnerable. You have to be around those, encouraging people, helping people, bearing each other's burdens. Everyone has to carry their own load, but we should always be looking. If there's someone new in church, don't go to the people you've always spoken to. Look for the new person. Go and speak to them. How you doing, brother? How you doing, sister? What do you think of that? If you see someone is struggling, you know someone is struggling, you might want to get there to get your chicken and rice first after church. But it might be that you want to go and pray with that person first. The laborers carried on their work. Watch this. With one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. In another translation, it says one hand holding a sword and one hand holding a trowel. You've got to know that there is a spiritual element and there's a practical element. There's a spiritual element to build, to battle, and there's a practical element to build. And the two come together and they work in harmony with one another. All the builders had a sword belted to their side the trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out. We're widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding, then our God will fight for us. There comes a time, man, when Alexander the Great, one of the greatest generals that the world has ever seen, when he was marching throughout 12 years or so, he, he, he took over the whole of Europe and, and, and Asia, over, overturned the Persian Empire. He used, to, he used to march, but he used to march like a hand. They, they used to say, what's your strategy? He said, I used to march like that, like a hand. Every finger was a different core. The cavalry would march that direction. The infantry would march that direction. The engineers would march that direction. The, the headquarters would march that direction. The commissari commissary, you know, the, the food and that would march that direction. Everyone would march in their own directions. But when we got to the point of battle, when that call was sounded, then all of those separate fingers came together to make a fist. And that was where we concentrated. And that was where we fought the enemy. And I want to let you know, it's okay to have a business. 
things. It's okay to have a career. It's okay to have education. It's okay to have a family. It's okay to live individually out there in the world that we live in. We all have responsibilities. But there comes a time when God sounds the call that we have to gather together to fight against our enemies for the good of our friends and our family and our loved ones and our futures. It's time to do that right now in the kingdom of God, I believe. We saw over COVID how everything was split, how everything was divided, how people were doing their own thing, our churches were, were just messed up. But God's trumpet is sounding again. He's saying it's time to gather back together. There's a battle to be faced. It's time to gather back together. There's an enemy to be fought. And this is a powerful, powerful image of people who are serious about God and His will. They're ready to build and battle because they're fully aware of the stakes involved. This is their future and the future of their families is at stake. Most importantly, this battle is fought together. These people, they're, they're, they're ready to back each other up whenever necessary and they mean business. For us today, I think this should make us reevaluate our commitments to God. Not just personally, but corporately. As a church community, we have responsibility before God to build and battle together. Because Jesus expects that. When we do that, we've got the additional benefit of knowing that God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness. And don't forget, before Nehemiah stepped up to make a difference, the Jews in Jer Jerusalem had been living like victims. Ezra built the temple and they were able to worship, but the enemies would come in at any time and pick them off. They were living hunted. They were living in hiding. They had no boundaries. And they just accepted it. The enemies had control over them. How many of you know we've been in situations like that before in our lives, right? Where we feel that the enemy's got control over us with guilt and with shame and with fear. Because our boundaries were broken down. Spiritual boundaries were broken down and the enemies were mocking them. But no more. Not today, man. Not today. Not anymore. It's time to remember who our God really is. The creator. The redeemer. The restorer. The reviver, the saviour, the healer, the provider, the protector, the lover of our souls. It's time to rebuild, man, the things that the enemy broke down. It's time to rebuild. I'm telling you right now, it's time to rebuild. It's not time to pray for revival anymore, it's time to be it. It's not time to say, God, come and empower us. God said, I'm with you, man, get on with it. Stop reaching your loved ones. Stop praying against your enemy. Stop making a stand against the things that try to stop you becoming everything you were created to become. Don't live like a victim. Live like a victor. It's time to rebuild. And all it's going to take is your willingness to change your mindset from being casual to being committed. And then your victories won't be accidental. They'll be intentional. So let's keep building, man.
Come and stand with me right now. Father, I just want to thank you today. Your word has gone forth. I pray it's found a receptive place within our hearts. I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that your people would rise up, that they'd look forward, they'd look ahead, they'd have hope once more in the future that you have for them, oh God. That there will be decisions that are made to go forward, to build, even in the face of our enemies, not to withdraw, not to run, not to hide, but to stand. And let us not forget that we might be halfway there, but we're not done yet. There's people we want to see saved. There are seats we want to see filled. There are sick people we want to see healed. There are broken families we want to see restored. There are lives that are lost that we want to see found. There are minds that have been shattered that we want to see the pieces put back together. There is darkness covering the land and we want to be the light that pushes back the darkness. Lord, I pray that you would single out your people. Show us once again where it is that we need to be building, where it is that we need to be battling. Give us the confidence once more, oh God, that you've called us for such a time as this. That this isn't just for them. We're not waiting for them to do it. It's not about them or they. It's us. You're raising up us. We're it, oh God. And we say, come Holy Spirit and move amongst your people. Help us to see once more in our lives, in our land. Lord, you'll move. We want to see our Redeemer live. We're just going to worship the Lord. If anything of this word has spoke to you, just come and respond, man. Come and stand here at the altar. Don't be shy. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about anyone else. There's power in the response. Sometimes coming to a place and standing in the presence of God and just being there, making that commitment, making that step, making that decision. There is a power in that. There's a power in that. And the Spirit of God moves in these times, man. While we're doing that, I want to know, is there anyone in this place that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour? Because if that's you, today is the day of salvation. Why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? There's no other way of salvation. You can't do it for yourself. You can't save yourself because you're your own worst enemy. Only Jesus can do it. The only, the only thing you need to be saved is to know that you need saving and then to trust in Jesus and believe in Him that He is the Saviour. And then go to Him in faith and in repentance and say, Jesus, I believe in You, that You died in my place and You rose again from the grave to give me a new hope and a new chance and a new, a new start. And I, I, I want that in my life. Today, Jesus, come and be my Lord, be my Saviour. Be my friend. Change me. Feel me.
I want to live with you forever. If that's you, be brave, be bold, come out as well. We want to pray with you. There's people here that want to pray with you. If you want to give your life to Jesus. If you're online right now, just let us know in the, in the, the chat. Someone will be there to pray with you. Hallelujah. Come on, lift up your hands and lift up your hearts. Come out, man. Come out. Stand here at the front in this place. And see what God does in your life when you step out of your comfort zone. You move beyond barriers. Self-imposed, imposed from past experiences or what? And come and stand in the presence of the living God and let Him move in your life. Touch you, feel you, heal you, change you, transform you, love you, free you, release you. We've seen miracles take place, man. Not only miracles have trans transformed lives through Jesus Christ and salvation. We've seen deaf ears open. We've seen drug addicts get set free. We've seen cancers dissolve. And this is not like hyping anything. This is just the facts. Medically attested stuff. Livers completely healed. Hepatitis healed. We see it in the presence of God. We see it in the presence of God. Hearts healed. Minds healed. Relationships healed. Come and stand. Lift up your hands and let's worship the Lord. Come on, let's worship Him a minute. Victory Outreach Manchester is a family in the city and we are here for you. Visit us every Sunday in person at the church building or live on Facebook and YouTube at 10am. Go to our website vomanchester.org.uk for more information.